It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hear elevated conversation on crucial issues. Boyd Matheson on Inside Sources. Well, the data is clearly in. Social media is causing real harm uh, to the mental health of the world's rising generation. To be sure, people want action and are frustrated. Lawmakers across the country are floating bills intended to keep kids safe online. That's all good. The question is whether these bills being floated actually will do that. And some of these proposed policies may create more problems in the process. So how do we mitigate without overstepping? How do we rush to alleviate the suffering without creating more problems for others? Uh, there's a lot to get into there. And we're really pleased to have Josh Withrow uh, uh, with us today. He's a fellow in technology and innovation at our friends over at the R Street Institute. Uh, Josh, thanks for jumping online with us. Well, thanks for having me, bud. Uh, as you've been looking at this uh, across the country and in Washington, D.C. as well, uh, all kinds of ideas and things uh, coming along as to what we should do to keep our kids safe, especially online, uh, including not letting them get online ever until maybe they're 28. Um, we know some of those aren't actually going <laughs> to fly. Uh, so give us a sense, one, of, of what are you seeing? What's kind of the broad brush ac- across the country first? Then we'll get into some specifics. Yeah, certainly. Like you said, I mean, it is it is very much in the zeitgeist of uh, it, in both state legislatures and federal uh, you know, all over the country, people are worried about what our kids are getting into online and starting to starting to feel like something needs to needs to be done. Uh, and unfortunately, this nebulous concept of sort of something needs to be done can lead to all sorts of things to fill that gap. And what we're starting to see is uh, dozens of pieces of legislation, state, federal level, um, that uh, in many cases, I would say, go uh, go way too far in terms of, uh, you know, dictating a lot of the terms of how kids access the Internet and what it would look like in ways that would not only change the architecture of the Internet for, for kids, but also for adults. And in a lot of cases, end up making a lot of parents' choices for them in terms of how, uh, you know, how they think their kids ought to experience the Internet. Yeah, so interesting. And uh, I always think as we go through this kind of process that we just, you know, other than locking all the kids, you know, in the tower, uh, there, there's some things that we just have to navigate and we have to make sure we're, we're doing that in a responsible way. Uh, so you had a great piece talking about five ways not to keep kids safe online to, again, get us go to go beyond the headlines, uh, because sometimes we have that. Uh, uh, I think our lawmakers feel this sense of, you know, don't stand there, do something. And sometimes it's better to not do something and stand there and really think through the consequences and what it means. Uh, And one of the things that you address is uh, age verification. That's been a very popular topic. Walk us through that. What should we be thinking about when it comes to age verification? Yeah, it's one of those things where on the surface you think, okay, we should make sure that uh, online services know uh, who the minors are who are on their platform so that they can, you know, they can potentially protect them differently from adults. And in theory, that sounds like a, a great idea in practice. Uh, you have to start asking the questions, okay, well, how do they know that? Uh, as it is, uh, every social media platform that exists uh, tries to tries to ban most minors from, from getting on the platform, uh, certainly those who are under 13. But it's largely through a self-verification process. You have to put in your birth date and, uh, and, and tell them who you are. And, um, and, you know, if you're under a certain age, they'll tell you, please go away. And, and these, com- these uh, companies remove 
you know, tens of thousands of profiles uh, when they find out that kids have lied or their parents have lied for them to create accounts because they don't want minors on their account uh, on their on their sites uh, below a certain age because it's just uh, it you know it creates problems for them. But when you start to make it mandatory for the sites to definitely know what their age is, they uh, they only have a handful of choices for what they can do, and one of them that has been considered by a lot of these bills is you know forcing the kids or their guardians or parents to provide an ID. Uh, either a government ID or some other form of documentation that shows, hey, I'm a real physical being who lives at this address. This is me. And I think there's some pretty obvious problems with that, not the least of which is now you have all the social media sites collecting all of this information that they wouldn't ordinarily have. Um, you know, what do they do with it? How do they keep it secure? Are they required to delete it? Uh, does everybody really want to have to show their government ID to TikTok? Um, you know, th- th- that sort of problem. And then if you choose to not choose documentary um uh, verification. There are technological ways you can try to get around that, but they're incredibly imperfect and, and usually invasive. So like the largest third-party service that uh, that does identity age verification uh, in the U.S. Uh, mostly does it by facial scans, which is uh, incidentally also how they do age verification in China. I just put that out there. But, um, and, you know, they try to use an algorithm to determine after scanning somebody's face, okay, this is a minor, this is not a minor. Um, and, you know, so the question is, once again, do you want TikTok, Twitter, Reddit, Instagram, yeah. you know, scanning all of our kids' faces and, and potentially keeping mm-hmm. records of them? I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Yeah, and that's one of the things you pointed out, was that uh, if the platforms are collecting all of that sensitive data uh everything doesn't always end well with that in terms of, of data breaches uh and so that obviously plays into it as you said uh, TikTok and snapchat and all of those do we really want them having those kinds of things i want to jump to one of the other things that you raised um because it's it's one that we often go to as the default uh, and that is to blame the algorithms for all the problems yeah, and you know, you've seen this in reactionary sort of uh, pieces of legislation. Like, uh, there's one in Minnesota that would literally categorically ban all algorithms that that uh, that kids, um, you know, that would target any information towards kids. And I think something that people need to step back and realize is that you know the internet is is full of billions of pieces of content. Every social media site is full of you know tens of tens of millions of new pieces of content every day. And every time that we enter anything into a search bar or or open up a news feed or any any other way of sort of sorting through content online, there is an algorithm that is in some way prioritizing what we see. And it's what makes the Internet useful, because otherwise there's so much uh, crap out there, frankly, that that it's it's impossible to sort through it all. So if you turn off the algorithms uh, to kids, you're essentially making the Internet useless. Uh, um, there are certain sorts of, of, of things where uh, where you could do that. And it's at least semi useful, like. Facebook, where you can turn off the recommendation algorithm and just have 
you know, chronological posts from your friends. Uh, but on a service like, I don't know, Google search or, you know, searching on Amazon or, um, or anything where you're sorting through or Instagram or Twitter, anything where you're sorting through massive public generated, you know, stacks of content. If, if there's no algorithm, you can't use the service. It's basically, yeah. it's basically <laughs> dead. Uh, and the other thing I'd just add to that is that, you know, uh, it's, the, the idea that algorithms push addiction on people is, I think, uh, one, even the science behind that is not, uh, is not solid. And two, it has, it has a lot to do with sort of how you choose to use the platform. I mean, it's right. recommending content that you're looking for. So who's responsible for being fed more of that content? You or the service? Or the service, yeah. And then finally, I want to real quickly before I let you go, uh, talk about this area of parental choice and kind of the the default mode there in terms of what parents uh, should be doing, what they could be doing uh, versus what uh, either the systems or the government is doing. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, every child is different. Every every teen matures at a different rate, at a different age. Uh, every parent knows their kid a lot better than the government does. And the question is, do we want to be setting up systems where the, where the government is telling you, you know, at what age it's safe for your kid to interact with various online services? And I think that's kind of antithetical to how particularly conservatives normally normally think of, uh, you know, the, the role of the government. And it sort of startles me to see, especially a lot of red states saying that, you know, this is actually a, a government role. Yeah, fascinating stuff. Great insight, uh, Josh Withrow, a fellow in technology and innovation at the R Street Institute. And, uh, Josh, thanks for breaking that down. Give us some great perspective as we look at what's happening uh, across the, the countries as well as in Washington, D.C., is how we try to navigate uh, this crazy interwebs and uh, the interconnectedness of it all, and especially as it relates to our kids. Uh, thanks for joining us today, Josh. Thank you. Uh, really great perspective there, uh, and it's so easy to get to the sweeping generalities or to think, oh, we've got to do this, this, or this, and I, I just remind you that often when it comes to these kinds of regulations, often in our rush to alleviate the suffering of some, we end up creating suffering for many, and so we just need to have eyes open, big conversations, stay curious, and we'll figure it out. Um but the thing we can't do is just shut it down or say it's too complicated, say we can't get there from here, uh, or just try to ignore the problem altogether. That's clearly not working, and that's a conversation we've got to get to. All right, we'll step aside for some bottom-of-the-hour news. When we come back, it is time for Roots Tech. And Steve Rockwood, president and CEO of Family Search International, will join us coming up next. Stick around on Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.